You ready? You can push record. All right, if you have your, if you have your notes, who has your notes from last week? Got a few, anybody looking for a couple of blanks to f- still fill in? So we're, going to, we're right at the end of where we are at last week. We're looking at the priesthood of the believer. And we worked through this over a couple of weeks, didn't quite finish last week. Well, we got to this part where we're talking about the sacrifice, what sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices are we to make. And we looked at self-consecration. We looked at complete obedience and praise and prayer and with our possessions. We looked at ministerial and missionary support, how we should be giving to those things. We looked at family life, how we should be leading our homes and, and pouring the word of God. And it's a sacrifice for our family. How working, the sacrifice of, of ourselves in work, how we ought to be the best employees at, at, at your job. Us as believers, we ought to be the best. You, you as a believer, should, there should never be the reputation of he's a whiner, he's a complainer, he's always trying to get out of work, anything he can do to get out of doing his job. That should never be the testimony of a believer. The believer's testimony ought to be, man, great attitude, great effort, always gives his best, does, a, does an honest day's work for the, the, for the honest day's pay. Not trying to steal anything, and, and, and so it, it ought to be that. And then we get to death. It's another thing. So we live and die as priests of the Lord. May we as Christians come to our dying hour triumphantly praying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When I die, when that time comes, you know, I, I pray that, and I believe this, I believe God gives us dying grace. I believe he gives the believer dying grace. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm not one bit afraid of dying. Amen? I'm not. Some people are. I'm not. I'm not afraid of dying. I might be a little concerned about the method, but I'm, not, I'm really not concerned about dying. Um, there are certain ways I would not choose. And I would prefer not to be this way or that way. Uh, there, there, there are a lot, lot easier ways to go. Lisa, uh, Lisa um, our secretary a few years ago, Massive heart attack, gone like that. Just like that. Went from here to with the Lord. Amen? That's not a bad way to go. But I want to go. Amen? Amen. So man, we, that's, a, that's a, you know, offering the sacrifice of our death, doing it for the Lord, having the right attitude about that. And the last thing we're, we'll get to here is, is representing God to man and man to God. 1 Peter 2 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And, and all that said, that, that. So, in order that, so that, that, it's there. There's a reason that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. There's a reason for that. And the reason is that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is our purpose. Our purpose isn't to have a big fancy house. My purpose in life is not to be... I have a responsibility to be a provider for my family, protector and provider and and all those things. But that's not my purpose in life. There's some responsibilities I have. My purpose in life is to glorify him. And if I do that in a closet... Now, if I'm praying to God, that's great. But he doesn't get the glory when I'm stuck in a closet somewhere and that's the only one who ever hears me talk to him is him. 
The only one ever hears me talk to him or about him is him. He wants me to tell others. Our responsibility, Miss Linda, I love that. Because every, how many times, y'all been in here, have, the, have her, her praises, her testimony coming in here is about opportunities she's had to, to witness. And, and you may be going, boy, I wish I had opportunities like that. You do. She just looks for them. And if you look for them, you'll see them. Y'all aren't thinking about a color at all right now. Not one of you have been thinking about a color. If anybody's sitting there thinking about colors, you might be on, I'm concerned you're on drugs or something. Purple, purple, purple. But you're not thinking about color. But if I say orange, 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 bright orange, y'all are starting, you start, you start, you start to see, you look like a pumpkin, man. Like a jack-o'-lantern. You got the black and the gold. You're looking like, like fall festival here. But, but when you mention that, right, you start, you start noticing it. And, and it's the same way. If you, if, you, if you get up in the morning and say, Lord, help me to see the opportunities. Because he makes opportunities all the time. But do I see it? When somebody comes into the store and, and you have an opportunity to, to just have a little conversation with a man, and and to, and to say something and praise God in in the way you run your business and the way you interact with people, uh, Dennis. I know you don't run into a whole lot of people, but when you do, it's it's being very intentional. It might be, man. The only person I saw today was a guy that was pumping gas on the other side of the pump from me. Find a way to get a conversation started, and uh, and praise the Lord, praise Him, point them to Him. 1 Timothy 2.1, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. This speaks of the responsibility to witness to others about Christ as priests of God in a sinful world. We're a royal priesthood with a purpose to declare the praises of Him who called us out of the darkness of sin into the wonderful light of God's forgiveness. As the light of the world, we, His priests, are to declare the gospel of God to the world. That is, the people of the world. We're, that's, that's our responsibility, is to share the gospel with those around us. His priests are to tell them that God will deliver them for their own, from their own darkness to His marvelous light. As much as the world may hate God, God's ways, and God's people, the world needs us. And because they hate us, doesn't give us reason to just cower back and, and to say, well, you know what, they hate me. I'm not going to share with them. You know why they hate us? Because they need Him. As the Apostle Paul declared, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and, and, and ground of the truth. That's what the church is. That's what we are, folks. We're the pillar and the ground of the truth. We are the foundation of truth. We, we are to be that for them. We're to share with them. We're to tell others about it. Um, Jeffrey Jones in the book, We Are Baptist, and I think we've quoted from this a few times and we'll quote from it some more, but the book, We Are Baptist, written in 2001, says, The priesthood of all believers has far-reaching consequences for every Baptist. It means that none of us can be a spectator, none of us can be a spectator who sits back while others carry on the work of the church, nor should any of us be willing to forfeit our responsibilities as ministers and expect the pastor to fulfill them for us. Um, folks, 
You, you can reach people I can't reach. You know, I, I think a lot of times people felt like, well, the pastor, the pastor you hire a pastor, he's professional. You know, he gets paid, so he's supposed to do all that. I've been in churches. I've been in some smaller churches where they, they expected the pastor to do everything. He was supposed to cut the grass, clean. He was the janitor. He was the lawn man. He was the hospital visitation. He, he had to do all the visitation, out, you know, door knocking. Um, he had to be the counselor and still preach three times and teach Sunday school. And it's, it was crazy. That's, that's not his job. It's not his now, it doesn't mean he's above doing those things, but that's not his job. His job, my job, the job of elders and pastors is to, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you, you have a responsibility. You have, as a believer, it is your responsibility to go out of here and be a witness for the Lord. That, that's all of our responsibility. It doesn't check that. I don't get to go, oh, no, 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 no. My job is just to, you know, to preach and to pray and to study. That's, that's all my job. I don't, no, no, as a, that, may be my, that may be what I've called to do vocationally. But I, just like you, I'm to go out of here and to witness, to tell people about Jesus. We look for those opportunities. And that's what we have to do. Amen? All right. Do you have the handout? Did everybody get the handout tonight? New handout. Does anybody need the handout? All right. Uh, Brent, I see one. Brent's going to grab. There should be some in that uh, right outside the door there, Brent. If you'd grab those and anybody needs those. We're moving on to the next part of this. So as we look at these Baptist distinctives, we've looked at the biblical authority and the lordship of Christ. We look at the autonomy of the local church. And then we just finished up with priesthood of believers. And tonight we're going to launch in... Two ordinances, that's the T, two ordinances. And the first one that we're going to look at is baptism. We'll look at baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are the two that we're looking at. But we're going to look at tonight and probably we may, we may finish up next week. But we're going to look at baptism first. And so our lesson aim as we look at this part with baptism is to describe the New Testament teaching about believers' baptism by immersion and its significance to New Testament Christians. So we're going to start with this. We're going to look at ordinance versus sacrament. Okay, so we use the word ordinance, the ordinances, and then others will use the word sacrament. So what's the difference? That's what we're going to look at. So to define those, before we look at the individual ordinances, let's discuss the word ordinance as opposed to the word sacrament. Now, sacrament is defined as a formal religious act or rite Conferring, now here's the key to this, conferring a specific grace on those who receive it. Those are the sacraments, a specific grace. Encyclopedia Britannica defines it, mystical channels of divine grace. Yeah, strange, right? Mystical. Mystical channels of divine grace. This, this falls in line really with what we just looked at with the, the whole professional priesthood, that the priest had special powers of sacrifice. Remember the sacro, oh, what was the word? Sacerdotal. Excellent. Sacerdotal. The sacrifices, the sacraments, there were special powers, there were mysterious things in that. And only certain ones had it. They had to be, you know, there's some very mystical things. 
Most Protestants observe the sacraments of baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. In the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, and other related traditions, there are seven traditional sacraments accepted. The Catechism 1113 of the Catholic Church states, The whole liturgical life of the church revolves around the Eucharistic sacrifice, or i.e. Mass, and the sacraments. There are seven sacraments in the church, baptism, confirmation, or uh, chrismation, which is that and confirmation are very similar. Then there's the Eucharist, which is communion for them, penance, which is confession, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and matrimony. Now, in contrast to sacrament, the definition of an ordinance is, in its most technical form, a law or rule made by an authority. I'm going to get to the definition that's in your notes in just a moment. But in a technical sense, in the technical form of this word, it's a law or rule made by an authority such as a city or a county government. So an ordinance is a law or a rule made by someone who's in authority. That's the idea of an ordinance. Um, uh, a broader definition would be simply an authoritative rule, law, decree, or demand. So an ordinance in the New Testament church is purely a divine command that Jesus gave to his followers to observe as part of our worship and allegiance to him. So sacraments have mystery, mystery, uh, mystical channels of divine grace. That's the idea with sacraments. Where an ordinance in the New Testament, we're talking about that, it's purely a divine command that Jesus gave for his followers to observe as part of our worship and allegiance to him. Biblically, we find the concept of an ordinance in the words of Jesus in the final part of the Great Commission. We get to verse 20, Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The things the Lord's commanded us, the things the Lord's told us and taught us, told them they're to tell others. We're to tell others. So those are things that came to us, and we're to tell them to others. An ordinance then, in the biblical sense, now here's your, here's your blanks, an ordinance then, in the biblical sense, is a symbolic rite setting forth primary facts of the Christian faith and required of all believers. Now, I'm going to get ahead a little bit right here, but we're commanded to, to be baptized as a believer. And once we're saved, we're commanded. We're commanded to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Lord says with communion, as oft as you do this, we are, to, we are to remember communion. We remember the Lord's Supper. We observe that. And when we do that, so it's not an optional thing. It's something that we, we as believers are to take part in. It's a command the Lord has given. There's no indication in Scripture that an ordinance in any way imparts mystical or special grace upon the person observing it. Um, therefore, based on a straightforward interpretation of Scripture, sacrament is not an acceptable word to describe the commands Jesus gave for His church to perform. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, those are the two ordinances. But we don't use, and I, I, I've not heard anybody, I don't think I've heard anybody use those terms. Uh, we wouldn't as Baptists, but sometimes that would somebody might bring that in. That's maybe what they've heard or been taught. But we, we don't observe the sacraments. We don't do that. We observe ordinances. These two ordinances that the Lord's given us. 
the baptism and the Lord's Supper. While Baptists accept baptism and communion as commands, as commands from the Lord for His church, we reject the characterization of these as sacraments and call them what they are, ordinances. That's what we, that's what we recognize them as. The threefold test. So in keeping with Scripture, we need to understand why Baptists only observe two ordinances, okay? So there's a simple threefold test we can apply to determine whether something is an actual ordinance of the, of the New Testament church. Number one, an ordinance was given or initiated by the Lord Jesus during His earthly life and recorded in one or more of the New Testament Gospels. There's first requirement. Second requirement, an ordinance was practiced by the early church as recorded in the New Testament book of Acts. Number three, an ordinance was taught as a command for the church in one or more of the New Testament epistles. So all of those things have to be, has to meet those criteria for it to be an ordinance, okay? So therefore, in order to be an ordinance of the Christian church, Baptists believe that these three facts are necessary. From this, we can see that certain practices that are claimed as special rites or observances of the church, such, such as foot washing ceremonies, or several of the Roman Catholic rites failed to meet this threefold test. Some were mentioned by the Lord, but not commanded in the epistles. Okay? Only baptism and communion meet the scriptural test. It is worth noting that many Protestants fully agree with the Baptist claim of only these two ordinances, but we do, not, uh, but we do have different ways of understanding their meaning, such as identifying them as sacraments. There are some that would agree with us. There are only two. They still call them sacraments. We'd say they're not sacraments. They are ordinances. So, you know, there, there, there are some people, some churches, I don't, I don't know, some may take foot washing as something that you're, you're supposed to do. It's like an ordinance. They've made it that. Like that's what, well, Jesus did it. Um, if you study that out, you understand what foot washing was about, right? What was it about? It was about serving. That's exactly what that was about. In those days, they can't, their feet were filthy. They traveled around with sandals and things. And so they come in, they would take their shoes off, their feet are filthy. Someone who'd been there with water to, to wash their feet at the door. It, 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 some people's homes you go into today, you take your shoes off. You know, you, you go in and you see got, they got their socks on, so you kick your shoes off. You know, that's what they, others, man, wear your shoes wherever. You have different things there. If, uh, I mean, I was trying to think, it, it, it's like washing your hands. If you're going to, if you just came into someone's home and you're about to have dinner, you'd offer them an opportunity to go wash their hands. If you didn't give them that opportunity, man, we were just out handling the dogs, you know, we were petting the dogs. We come in and, and I don't give you, I don't make any, any, any way for you to, or offer to wash your hands. This was just washing. That was wash. It was, it was a common thing. But what Jesus did with it, he taught servanthood to them. That was the whole point of that. Now, I've seen some foot washings that I think were God-honoring. I think they were. It's a, it's a humbling thing. And it's a, it could be a gross thing. It's one thing when your feet are dry and crusty, you know, because you've been walking around. It's another when you pull those shoes off and whoo! We had a retreat one time, a men's retreat, years and years and years. I don't even know. Gina and I may have been married. We, we were early in our marriage, but we did a men's retreat. And the guy who was speaking did the foot washing. But he did it different. He just went around and he buffed off our shoes. 
So we didn't take our shoes. It was the, but the purpose was he got down and he modeled that for, for everybody. Even that was very humbling. It's, it's, it's humbling when somebody does that. And I, I've seen it done in times, and I, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't do that. Someone I really wanted to honor, y'all don't tell him. I hope he doesn't watch. Well, I'm going to tell you, if the Lord moved me, I'd wash Fred Williams' feet in a heartbeat. I would. I, I'd, I'd, I would, I would I, you know, and there's others here I would, too. anybody the Lord led me to do, I would. But I say that because Fred is such a servant. He's such a humble servant. And, and he just, man, he just talks about the Lord all the time. And he's just so humble. If there's something needs to be done, I just mention it's done. Sometimes you don't have to mention it. It's done. We had marijuana growing in the site. Well, it wasn't marijuana. I was joking with them. I think Claire sent me a picture one night. She said, y'all might want to look at this. And there you could see behind the light that there was all this growth inside our lit sign out there. And so I was joking with a couple of guys. I sent them pictures. I said, hey, can we do something with this? And let me know if it's marijuana because I'm a little concerned. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, this is Geneva. So, hey, just being real. But you know what? I mentioned that. And next thing I know, Fred and... and um, Fred and Doug Norman were out there then and opened it up and gotten that stuff out, got all that cleaned up. Uh, but Fred's in here all the time serving. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just go, people like that, you, you just want to serve them somehow. You go, man, it's just, how, how can I serve that person? They, they, out, they run circles around us serving, right? <sighs> uh, all right, next thing, believers' baptism. Talking about believers' baptism. The Holy Spirit places great emphasis upon the ordinance of baptism in the New Testament. The words Baptist, baptism, baptize, and baptized are used a total of, listen, 113 times in the New Testament. And that may vary a little bit from translation to translation, but 113 times that Baptist, baptism, baptize, baptized are used. 113 times. For some today, even among many Baptists, it seems that baptism is a non-essential practice. It has lost... All you can do is say people have gotten away from the Word of God. When, when they get away from baptism, and, and like it's not an important thing, not, like it's not an important part of what we do, uh, it's like they've gotten away from the Word of God. It is an important part of what we do. God's Word certainly makes clear that baptism is a critically important ordinance for the Christian faith. Meaning of baptism. We go to Matthew again, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's the, uh, that's the key reference. And so when we talk about the description, the Bible teaches believers' baptism. It's the immersion, it's the immersion in water of people capable of making a conscious decision to trust Christ. Though baptism is not, listen, essential for salvation, it is commanded. You understand the difference, right? I, I, every time I counsel with someone about, about baptism, I ask them, why do you want, you know, first question, well... Is Emma? Emma? What did I ask you the other day? What was last Wednesday, wasn't it? What was the first thing I asked you? Why do you want to be baptized? 
That was the very first question I asked her. Why do you want to be baptized? Because I want to I hear from her why she wants to be baptized. It's the way I ask questions when I witness to somebody. In your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? Because their answer is going to tell me, is it a, are they believing by faith? Are they believing by works? Are they believing by a muddled up, mixed up view of things? Or do they not have a clue in the world? But their answer to that question, and that's a great question. I've not heard a better question. If somebody's got a better question, I'll implement it. But until I find it, that's my question. And that came from faith visitation. If you've ever heard of faith, and that's where that came from. Great question. Terrible question. Are you saved? Terrible question. Are you going to heaven? Because, are you going to heaven? Because here's what people will say. They'll, they'll say, well, yeah. Now you've got to convince them. Now your work is all in, in, in convincing them of the truth and getting, if they are lost, you've got to get them convinced they're lost. Right? So in sales, they always say, you want to ask questions to get them to say yes, yes. Get them to say yes, yes, yes. I don't want a yes in that. I want, I want uh, in your personal opinion. What do people love to give? Their personal opinion. Even if they don't have understanding of something, when you ask them, what's your personal opinion? You'll get some honest answers then. Then you get to it. And so witnessing is great. But baptism, same way. Why do you want to be baptized? Well, because I want to go to heaven. Well, they just answered right there what they believe. They believe baptism is tied to salvation. That's key to salvation. And there are people that believe that. There are churches that push that and believe that. That, 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 is, that is the way of salvation. Though baptism is not essential for salvation, it is commanded in Scripture as a step of godly obedience and necessary for membership in the local New Testament church. It's commanded. So it's not, a, it's not an optional thing. So let me say this. If you're here tonight and you have been born again, you are, are, you are saved, you, you know you're saved, you're going to heaven. You've been born again. You trusted in Jesus. But you have not been baptized. Let me say this. You're in disobedience. Because you have not followed what you're supposed to, the next step you're supposed to take. And there, I know that there are some in our church that that's where they're at. They've yet to be baptized. And it begs the question, Why? Why would you not get baptized if you truly... If you truly are a follower of Jesus, it, and it can't be about fear. I've met some folks, the greatest fear they had in life was people looking at them. And as hard as it was, they got up there in that pool and said, I'm not ashamed. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm, 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 I'm born again. I'm part of God's family. No problem with that. So it's not, a, it's not essential to salvation, but it is commanded. Now, here's one of, the, one of our quotes, this quotable quote. So Jeffrey Jones, who we just quoted a little bit ago from the book We Are Baptist in 2001, uh, he says this, in a very real sense, baptism is what makes Baptists Baptists. At least it is the characteristic first noticed and by which we, give, uh, which we got our name. We baptize in a different way and at a different time than many other Christian groups do. We baptize people who are old enough to understand what, what following Jesus Christ means and, what they make, uh, and, and when they make such a commitment. When Baptists baptize, they immerse the person in water. It capture what baptism is for us. 
So I'm going to look at the uh, look at the history of New Testament baptism. We probably won't get all the way through this, and for the next little bit, you, this, some of this is not going to be in your notes. You're going to skip down. Uh, look, I'll, I'll let you know when we get back to the next, to the notes where you've got blanks there. But history of the New Testament uh, baptism. You've got a lot of verses that are in your notes there. You can go back and reference those. I'm going to I'm going to hit those here as we go. A historical survey of baptism in the Bible tells us that New Testament baptism has its roots in John the Baptist. Though some would debate whether John's baptism was, was Christian baptism, it is clear that he, he, he was sent forth by God to baptize in conjunction with his preaching about the coming of Messiah. I mean, there's just no doubt from Scripture that John, John was anointed of God. He was... From, from the womb, God had his hand on him, had a purpose for him, sent him out to proclaim, to make the way of, for the Lord. He proclaimed the way for the Lord. And he goes out and he's preaching this repentance, this confession of sin. And then in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John himself was clothed, with, was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins." At the least, at the very least, John the Baptist ushered in the Christian era inasmuch as he was the first man to authoritatively preach that Christ had indeed come into the world. He proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed that, that Jesus Christ was Messiah. He was the Christ. Jesus said in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. It seems that at least some of Jesus' disciples were baptized by John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 35 through 37, says again, The next day John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. These were some that had been following John and, and, and were his disciples. They, and the Lord comes. What did John do? He said, Hey, 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 no, 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 y'all are right here. Y'all get back. They didn't do that. He pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard Jesus and took off and followed Jesus. In the most notable baptism in human history, Jesus himself walked about 60 miles to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. Matthew 3.13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. As, he, as, as his ministry unfolded, Jesus Christ and his disciples baptized his followers. John 3.22, after, uh, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. John 4.1, therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples... So the baptism was going on. Jesus and was, those that followed him were being baptized. These baptisms continued until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And just before his ascension back to heaven, Jesus commanded that baptism was to continue. Your blank. Here's your next blank. Baptism was to continue. 
first through his apostles, then continuing through the church at large. So the Lord made it very clear. He, if baptism wasn't something the Lord wanted done, he could have nixed that. He could have said, whatever John is doing out there, that's foolishness. But he didn't say that. In fact, he went and was baptized. Now, the Lord didn't need to be baptized. It wasn't like, you know what, I need to, I need to get this sin washed off me. He had no sin. So it wasn't about his sin. It wasn't, a, it wasn't even about a profession of faith. He, he had faith in himself. He, he, is, he is God. And so he went and he, he modeled for us, and this is what we tell people when they get baptized. There's three, three things. If Jesus did it and we can do it, I, I kind of think we should do it. Amen? If I could walk on water, I'd do it. I mean, if, 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 if just, just because Jesus did it. So if, if he did it and we can do it, we should do it. So he was baptized. Uh, Jesus commanded before he ascended. We read that, that, that we, are to, we are to go make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So we are to be baptized. So Jesus did it. I want to do it. Jesus said that when you become a believer, you should be baptized. I want to do it. And the other reason is that it is our profession of faith. And I share, I share about the ring. You know, and I, I, I love asking little kids this. Um, and I ask them, I say, what does that mean? And the kids always know. They go, it means you're married. It means you're married. I said, right. I said, am I still married? It's fun to watch them because they usually go, you can see their face go, yes, you are. And they get it pretty quickly. They get that that band didn't make me married. And they understand that band, it's real simple to understand. Band shows that I'm married. It's a, and I tell them, and I tell anybody, it's good stuff, isn't it? Tell them. I tell them this band, this band is an outward expression of the inward commitment I've made to my wife, Gina. And so I wear that so that everybody knows. Nobody has to wonder, is he taken? I'm taken. Is he available? Not available. I wonder if I got time. Leave me alone. Okay? Right there. That's an outward expression of the inward commitment. That's what baptism is. It's the outward expression of the inward commitment we've made to Christ. So those are the reasons we should be baptized. Okay, real quick, and we're almost, we're almost at a good stop, starting, a stopping place right here. Baptism as a person's individual, baptism as a person's individual testimony of faith in the risen Christ continued with the infant church as seen in the book of Acts. When you read through the book of Acts, you see baptism all through there. We see specifically the following people baptized upon their profession of faith. Converts on the day of Pentecost. Remember that? They believed and were baptized. Converts in, uh, in the uh, revival at Samaria. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. He believed, and they got down and got in the water and baptized him. The first uh, uh, Saul, Saul, and pa Saul, Paul, Acts chapter 9. He was, he was saved on the road to Damascus and he was baptized. The first Gentile converts in Acts chapter 10. Lydia, where we've been learning about him. Philippi, first convert in, in, uh, in Europe. The first, the first convert in, in, in the Roman Empire, that part of it. But when he went into Philippi, the first convert was Lydia down by the... the and what, and what happened? I mean, her family, the, the, she, she takes them home, preach, tell them what you told me, and they baptize them. The Philippian jailer, he believes, he takes Paul home, Paul and Silas takes them home, cleans them up, 
washes their backs, feeds them and his whole family. They preach the gospel to the jailer's family. There's, there's bunches of them saved and they get baptized. Crispus in Acts uh, 18, just to name a few. So we see that, that that is the mode when we see in the book of Acts and the way the early church was doing it. Throughout Acts, we find that all of those who embraced Christianity were immediately baptized after the profession of faith in Christ as Savior. You know what we really ought to do? So what we ought to do. Somebody comes forward and they make a profession of faith. We ought to have water in the pool all the time. And we ought not worry about having you change your clothes. See, we do these things because of convenience sake. We ought to go up there and get wet. Someone makes a strong, I mean, clear profession of faith right here, knelt down. Daniel, that day, right there, I mean, we should have gone back that day. We should have. That would have been the, 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 the New Testament way. We really should. Here's what, here's what we do. Well, we got to watch them. We got to make sure they're Really a believer. We got we to make sure, you know, we got to see if this thing sticks. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. That's why several years ago, you know, most of the churches I've been in, when, here's what happened. When you got baptized, it was, you were baptized into church membership. I mean, it wasn't even like there was a question. So kids got baptized and they went on the church roll, which I think is foolish. I think anybody getting just because just they got baptized going on the church roll, they're two different things. They're two different things. So we disconnected that. We, we unhooked that car on the train a few years ago. So somebody gets saved, let's baptize them. They want to join the church, they go through the process like everybody else. We do, we do the membership class, we let them hear who we are, and they, they make a conscious decision then, understanding what we believe as a church, Yes, I want, to, I want to connect with you and I want to join with you. I want to be a part of that. And, and uh, so, uh, but we ought to do immediately. We ought to do more immediately. All through the New Testament epistles, we continue to find that the early churches persisted in the practice of baptism for new believers. Okay, we're going to stop right there. I think you have purposes of baptism there in your notes. And you probably just have a few spots. I got a whole lot of notes that goes with that. So I, I knew I wouldn't get through that much. So I may, I may amend that and have you a new set of notes to give out next week. Any questions, comments, anything before we wrap up? I'm already a minute over. All well? Excited about the rest of your week? Go out and, go out and be a witness. Tell somebody about Jesus. Pray up, pray for me. I, I'm say this, I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers. Pray for me. I beg you to pray for me. Uh, as I prepare each week, I want, to, I want to bring you clearly what God would have you to have. So pray for me as I study and prepare and, and, uh, and, um, and uh, all that. Just pray for me. All multiple ways. Lay, cover me, please. I pray for you. You pray for me. All right? Todd Brain, stand up, brother. Close us in prayer if you don't mind.